0: bit heavy and it's interesting to be on this side of this setting because I've sat through a lot of uh, sermons and discussions and lectures on this very topic and sitting there wrestling with my own questions and my own thoughts and circumstances and emotions. And so I'm here to serve this morning and help in any kind of way as we look at uh, an old story, one of the oldest stories in the book, they say. So if you open up to the book of Job, let me just tell you one more thing by means of introduction. <clears throat> I've been talking to my manager who helps me with, uh, with my books and stuff. Uh, her name's Haley. She's also my wife. <laughs> and uh, we were just reading uh, this passage in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 20, and Jesus is quoted as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I've been thinking about as we're launching this new book, I've been thinking, how can I take these words of Jesus seriously? What can, how can I actually give more than I'm receiving? And one of the things that we decided is that we're gonna just going to give away my new book, Life Hacks, uh, a free copy online, or sorry, digital copy. You have to sign up uh, through a piece of paper. So all you got to do is give me your email, and we're going to give you a free copy because we're going to test Jesus' words because we want to be more blessed as a couple. We want uh, f- to be faithful to give to you. So if you're uh, interested in that, that's my gift to you, Hillside, uh, this morning. So that's uh, one thing I wanted to say. And let's, let's look at our question here. Uh, why does God allow suffering and evil? I've seen that in my experience, this is one of the number one things that drives people away from God. Circumstances, uh, all of a sudden a call from the doctor, a bit of a crisis with family members, something happens that leads them to say, you know what, forget it. If there is a God, there's no way He's good, all-powerful, or all-knowing. If you look through history, you see this was the idea that uh, led Charles Darwin, who grew up in a Christian home. His grandpa was a pastor. He went to a little Bible college in England named Cambridge University, went to go study to be uh, an Anglican, and then came out after uh, researching and uh, just having life experience saying there's way too much suffering in the world. There's no way that this God could be good that that, uh, I've heard about, and so uh, he eventually walked away from his faith. We don't know what happened at the very end of his life, but uh, I have no credible evidence to suggest that he came back Uh, one of the most vocal skeptics these days when it comes to critiquing the Bible and the trustworthiness of the Bible is a guy named Bart Ehrman. I don't know if you know who he is. He grew up in the church, went to, uh, again, a Bible school, a very conservative Bible school. It wasn't until he did his master's and then uh, PhD studies that he would eventually walk away from his faith, and now he spends most of his efforts and his public time critiquing Christianity And he would say, uh, off the record, but he he doesn't mind saying on the record, that uh, it was not his problems with the Bible that led him to walk away from God, but all the suffering and evil that he saw in the news in his life and, uh, and said there's no way that God could be good in light of the accumulation of all this bad stuff that I see. But it's interesting that while suffering and evil leads many people to walk away from God, we also know that it leads many people right into the very arms of God, that they've gone, gone running to Him in times of crisis and challenge. Churches boomed after 9 11, especially in New York. Pastors would report record attendance in many of their churches after the atrocities of, of September 11th. And uh, I mean, that attendance kind of waned a little bit, but we know people uh, tend to forget, and, and when in times of good that they tend to walk away or get apathetic, but in the, in the heart of the crisis, when everybody was wondering where was God in this, people were going to church. Even after the earthquakes that, that rocked Haiti for, uh, you know, it's been well reported of the devastation that happened, but less reported was the revival that happened in that little country after the earthquakes as people turned to God in search of, of help and Uh, just provision to stay alive for many of them, or just asking the question, God, where are you? They sought God in that. So the very suffering that leads some away from God also leads people towards God. And that's an interesting observation. But the question of why does, does He allow it is one that I have to confess to you right off the bat, I don't know. I mean, I've read the book, studied it, listened to different theories on it, and I still don't know. But what follows, given that I, my confession that I don't know why God allows suffering and evil? Some of you would say, well, if John doesn't know the answer, there must be no answer. To which I say, thank you. <laughs> I receive that little compliment that says, if, if I don't know something, therefore the answer must not be there. But I assure you that this is not the case. The logic does not follow that if I don't know something, there must not be an answer. If I don't know something, God might have... The answer and choose to keep it mysterious uh, to us. The character in the story that we're going to look at this morning goes through a really difficult time, loses everything except for his, his own life, and he doesn't find the answer to the question of why does God allow what he had to go through. Job is, uh, scholars would say, the oldest book in the Bible, probably one of the first ones written in it, deals with the question, why does God allow suffering and evil, and so we might even say the oldest book with the oldest question doesn't give us fully a satisfactory answer, but we'll try anyways, because all we need to do at the end of my time, all I'm going to seek to do is to show you that there is nothing contradictory between the two statements, God is real and evil is real. See, a lot of people philosophically say, well, if, if God is real, then evil wouldn't be real. And since I see so much suffering and evil in the world, therefore God must not be real. But I want to show you that, no, God is real, and God is even good, and may have reasons for allowing evil that we don't necessarily understand, and therefore, He allows evil. Does that make sense? That's why I want to get rid of that idea that God and evil can't work together, but God could have reasons for allowing evil, and therefore, we can still have reasons to love Him, to worship Him, and commit our lives to Him. So let's look at the story in Job 1 verse 1, we see that Job's a pretty good guy. I mean, there's no reason for him to have to go through what he does according to uh, old-fashioned logic, or oh, sorry, old-fashioned reasoning, which says, if you be a good person, good things happen to you. If you be a bad person, then bad things should happen to you. This was how the ancients saw it. This is still how many people feel today. That's why they try to tip their baristas as much as they can, right? I want tip my barista so I can get good things happen to me. Baristas pray off of that. They know it. That's why they put karma right on on their tip jar. (laughs) But that's not always the case, as we learn about in this story. Verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz or Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Good guy. Tried to do what was right. Tried to honor God in the way he lived and tried to do as few bad things as he possibly could. He just, you'd look at Job and say, that's a good guy. We learn uh, in the next verses about his possessions. He was very wealthy. He had a great family. And he was just the kind of guy that you would, you would trust. You could call Job to move a couch if you needed it, but also he was probably very generous in, in how he lived his life. But then everything changes, and it starts with a conversation that Job never knew about. There was a conversation that happened in heaven showing us that there is always more going on than just the physical world. There was more than meets the eye, and Job never knew that there was an accuser figure. We call him Satan. Satan means accuser, and he's standing before God, and God is showing off his creation. He's showing off Job and says, look, have you seen my servant Job? He's a good guy. He's doing the right thing. He's not listening to your whispers. He's trying to follow Me and he's trying to do right by his kids and and live a good life. And Satan says, well, of course. Of course he is. Because you've given him everything he's ever wanted, needed, asked for. You give him sunny days and he praises you. You give him a great family and he thinks everything's going so well. Satan says, you take one of those things away and watch what happens. Verse 11, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan is, is trying to play off this idea that God, uh, Job is actually using God to get good things. And he says, the moment you take away those good things, you will see that his heart is not actually a heart that loves you, because he will curse you because you're not giving him what he really wants, which is a wealth, abundance, safety, security, and prosperity. Take all those things away, and you'll find out that he's a rotten guy, just like the rest of those people you've created, Satan would say. So one of the reasons why I think God might allow evil is, you can unpack it from this story here, is you can say maybe God wants us to actually see, or God wants us to show Satan or the world that even in difficult times, we can still praise Him, that our hearts truly do love Him. And if not, we didn't have the option in light of suffering and evil to turn away from God, then we would never know if we truly loved Him. So I want to say that maybe one of the reasons why God could allow suffering and evil is for the chance to love, the chance to show God that we love Him. And for the chance to love Him, we must also have the chance to reject Him. And that's the kind of world that God created, Whereas you could say God made evil possible, but humans made it actual. I mean, think about most of the suffering that's challenging us. A lot of it comes because we do bad things to each other, because our world is broken. We're the ones who make the bombs. We're the ones who commit the crimes. We're the ones who abuse. We're the ones who divorce. We're the ones who bully. We're the ones who cheat. We're the ones who steal. We're the ones who commit violent acts. We're the ones who gossip. We do those things, and we hurt each other. We cause each other so much suffering and pain. So why would you create a world that would allow this to happen? Why would you create these kind of beings who can do these terrible things? Would it not have been better for God just to either create us as robots or or not create us at all? It's a question that it's not in our power, it's God's alone. But if you've ever created a child, if you ever brought life into the world, you've had to make that same difficult decision. I mean, you parents with teenagers, you know exactly what it's like to create a being that in your own image, to provide for it, to protect it, and then it grows up and denies your existence. Like that's how God feels. God could have made robots, but we can make robots. I mean, We can actually make robots that you can, probably one day, the way our society seems to be going, you will be able to legally marry a robot if you want. But here's my theory. It's not going to work. Because there's something about pushing the I love you button and having a robot say, I love you, right? That's just not as fulfilling as when somebody actually chooses to love you by their own will. See, i married a woman named Haley, Technology was available to marry a robot at the time. We only got married three years ago. The technology was there. And nine times out of ten, though, I tell you, I would choose my wife every single t- time. One in ten, okay, maybe it would be nice <laughs> to have a robot. But that would not be the kind of relationship that I would seek to disp- the person to spend my life with. So if we've created or we've, been, uh, we've ever chosen to love somebody, we know that the fact that you can choose love is a beautiful thing, and God has hardwired that choice into the world. Satan knows that, and he says, if you take away some of the things, the pleasures, the securities, the comforts that Job has, he will curse you, and that's the kind of, I mean, that's a, real, that's a real chance that Job could do. He could curse God, and so God has to allow what he allows into Job's life to see what's inside of him. Maybe it was to show God, or maybe it was just to show Satan. Maybe it was to show the world. But there was a real choice there. Let's watch how things start to unfold. It starts at verse 13, the subheading in my Bible. It says, Satan takes Job's property and children. That's exactly what happens. Uh, Servants start coming in succession. It's just one after another. Job just kind of gets sucker punched time after time. He's keeling over from the first bit of news. He slowly gets up to take some air and he gets hit again. Look at verse 16. While he, the servant, was speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And over and over this happens, and Job's probably just really struggling as this terrible news hits him. In chapter 9, we go ahead, it says, uh, he says, God will not let me even get my breath. It just seems to be bad news after bad news. I can't recover from this. The interesting thing is God takes responsibility for this. God never says, this is all happening out of my control. I set up this world. It's like a Frankenstein world now. It's turned on me. You don't read from Genesis to Revelation and think this God is a cosmic ambulance driver just going around cleaning up emergencies and sorting out messes. That's not how we see the God who claims to be the Alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who carries everything according to his completed tasks. You see, the problem of suffering and evil would be great if we had an impotent God who couldn't do anything about all the suffering in the world, but that is not the God of the Bible who actually says, you know, I'm the one who created wind, and it was the wind that destroyed the home that, that killed his family, Job's family. It was fire that God designed that came down. So you see, it, we, could, we can't let God off the hook for this, I love how Job's friends in almost a comedy of errors or just a bunch of guys sitting around at a coffee shop struggling to make sense of, of Job's situation. For 38 chapters, they go on and on. Maybe this is why it happened, Job. Maybe this is why it happened. How about this theory? How about this? How about this? How about this? They never figure it out. And that's what happens when we finite creatures who lack wisdom, who lack knowledge, who lack the plan. We, we can't see what God is always doing, and we try to come up with these uh, reasons, this understanding of why is this all happening. Kind of reminds me of this story that I'll make up. It's not like a, a boring story where you lose your friend, and you just, you know, ping them on their phone and find out where they're at, or text them and say, hey, where are you? This is like the old-fashioned kind of story where you didn't know where a friend was, and you knew they were in jeopardy, and the soundtrack was pumping, and the, you know, it was going, it was dark, and it was uh, you didn't know where your friend was, but you saw this light in the distance. And so you ran and found a building with just a few lights on in one of the corners. And so you uh, blow open the doors, run down the hallway to where you hear some of the commotion. And you're looking for your friend because you know their life could be on the line. They could be in serious danger, and you're there to save them. You go to the, where the light is, fling those doors open as well, and your worst nightmares confirmed. There's your friend lying, lying there, blood everywhere surrounded by men with masks on and knives. They're cutting him open. You think, I'm too late. This story is terrible. Until you think, wait a minute, I'm in a hospital. and This is a surgery room. And these men with knives and masks are trained professional surgeons who are removing the cancer that would kill my friend if they hadn't operated when they did. Just a little bit of information really does... Change everything, doesn't it? Just with a, a, just a, a slight bit more perspective, a slight bit more uh, way of seeing things, you can actually realize this was a good thing, that was happening. And now that I know a bit more, I can celebrate the good that's coming out of this seemingly terrible situation. Apply that to that relationship from junior high that you prayed that God would bring you two together because they were the person of your dreams, that job that you never got, that you were so devastated about that ended up opening up the door to this job which led you to that situation and go there and all these different pieces that come together now that we look back at our lives well imagine if you had all the perspective of all of eternity all the wisdom all the knowledge you could make a far better assessment of the situation God has that and he knows he knows the story from the beginning to the end before any of it ever happens we don't, so we must be humble in our assessments of why God allows this to happen. So the first point is that maybe God allows suffering and evil to give us the chance to choose. And we are to be careful how, when we make our assessment of when we will choose whether or not we will worship God or not. The second one is that maybe God allows suffering and evil because he wants to give us the choice to grow. God is doing something with all of us He's teaching us things, making us stronger. We understand that sometimes to to become stronger, you have to be broken down a bit. Anyone who is going to the gym this weekend or this week, maybe you'll go down and you'll break down your muscles a bit. You'll make them sore. You'll tire them out so that they will be rebuilt stronger. of you're going to suffer through some kind of education. You're going to sit in class. You're going to stretch your mind. You're going to read a book. And you know that. By challenging yourself, you're going to become stronger at the end. We get that with these things. But when God does it for us, all of a sudden we start to wonder, why are you doing this, God? Job comes out of this story stronger, knowing more about God. Look at verse 42. I won't expect you to flip all the way over there, so the words will be behind me. After going through all this, after all the conversations with his friends, God talked to Job. But then Job responds to God by saying this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is a different character than the one we saw in the beginning. He says, I had heard of you only, but now I have seen you. I know how powerful you are. I'll I'll trust you for your goodness. I kind of go back to the story of Jesus and the disciples when there was a big storm and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. They had seen him do all kinds of things, healing people, feeding multitudes, teaching them amazing stuff. But then when they're in the middle of a storm themselves, they cry out. I mean, the prayer it is like directed right to the guy in the boat. Jesus, wake up. Where are you? Help us. Save us. Jesus gets up, groggy from having done lots of ministry, wipes the sleep out of his eyes and calms the storm. And then uh, the writers of the, of the gospel story comment and say, when they realized who this was, they marveled. It says they were mega terrified, and they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? There was something that they didn't know about God prior to the storm, that they were absolutely amazed to the point of worship, having been through it now they would have never known that without that time of of crisis they learned so much more about who this messiah was that they were following because they had to go through it maybe that's why god allows these kinds of things to happen he wants to teach us something he wants us to grow our our in character and i think a lot of us need it i mean let's be honest we're going to spend those of us who are christians are going to spend eternity together I don't know you well, but I know some of you need a little bit more work until we're ready to spend (laughs) eternity in that kind of place. I know I need a little more work done on me. And so thank God that he's going to take personal responsibility for a life that is devoted to him. And he will put suffering and he will put challenges and difficulties to make sure that we are different people when we are ready to spend eternity with him in glory. So that's the second thing is God may allow suffering and evil to give us the choice to grow. And thirdly, God allows suffering and and evil in the world because there is a glory to show, a glory to show. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, the Hebrew word shalom says that, uh, well, I mean, we, we know that that was broken. There was a peace and harmony in God's creation, and then when sin came into the world, that harmony was broken. God makes a promise to our first parents, Adam and Eve, that He's going to do something where this serpent is going to have his head crushed. Uh, the, the one who saves will be, uh, have this heel bruised. But that's the first promise of the good news of how God is going to bring evil that has just been introduced into the world and get out of it. So we spend the whole Bible for the rest of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament wondering, who is this serpent crusher? Who is this one who is going to crush the head of Satan? We get a few clues of what he's going to be like. He's going to be like the Passover lamb. He's going to be like the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He'll be whipped. He'll be bruised for our transgressions. He'll be crushed for our sins. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament. John the Baptist says, look, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus says, I'm going to a cross. That's his mission, to head to Jerusalem, to die. The Savior came to die and as we look at the, the Savior dying, we see a beautiful display of who God is that we would never have known otherwise. When we see Jesus on the cross, we think, wow, this God is a holy God. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to the injustices. To, he doesn't just see rape, and He doesn't just see chemical warfare, and He doesn't see treason and uh, you know, all sorts of corruption in our culture. He doesn't just see the little things that are happening in families behind closed doors and turn a blind eye. He takes sin so seriously that He has to judge it. This God is holy, and we see that on the cross. We know that about God, that He is holy and that He is just, and that in God's economy, sin has to be paid for. Either the person who committed the sin pays for it or someone else does. So we also see in the cross that God is loving, that He loves us so much that He is willing to pay the price for the rebellion that we committed against Him. He's willing to take evil upon Himself to suffer in our place and for our sin. So we see on the cross that God is holy, but He is also so loving that He'll do that for anybody, the least deserving of all of us, and He will die for them as an act of love. See, people sometimes go through suffering and evil, and they say, I don't know if God is loving. If God is loving, why would He do this? And I say, I I don't know why God allows this to happen, but I'll tell you what the answer is not. The answer is not that God doesn't love you. Why? Because we have a testimony embedded in history of when God came and put on human skin and died because he loved so much. So we can't look at the cross and see Jesus dying there and say, this God doesn't love me. That is not one of the options. He showed an act of love so much that he died for us while we were still sinners. When I w- got a chance to study at Oxford, as, as Derwin said, I heard that there was a hockey team, and I, I, was, I, was, I played hockey growing up, and I looked at, forward to the opportunity to, to get a chance to play again. And I thought, you know, this would be a good chance to escape the English accent, right? Playing hockey, the English aren't really known for their hockey playing, and sure enough, the team was full of Canadians and Americans. We were led by our player coach, because we couldn't afford to have a, a, you know, a, a real coach. So we had a player coach who was playing, and he was a coach. His name was Gino, and he came from Alberta. He was studying law at Oxford, and he w- was really clear that the goal uh, of, the, of the whole year, the, the whole season, rises and falls on one game at the end of the season. We were playing against the University of Cambridge, our longtime rivals ever since the Middle Ages. Cambridge and Oxford have been fighting in, in various ways, in sports and sometimes real fighting, And in hockey, it was no different. There was a long-time rivalry that we had to continue on. And so we trained a lot. I mean, in practices, we took always some time to do uh, lengths. You know, we just had to skate, skate, skate all the time. And then we would do dryland training. But dryland training in England is a bit misleading, right? Because it always rains there. (laughs) Actually, I think it only rained twice when I was there. First time, it rained for 30 days. And the second time, it rained for 45 days. But anyways, it rained a lot, and so we were out there in the morning, and we were running in the rain, and we'd go at night, and we'd run in the rain, and I was like, man, why are we doing all this? Like, I'm a recovering youth pastor, right? I, didn't, I run after the pizza man. That's about as far as I run. And here we are running, and I'm just getting so mad. Like, Gino's like, okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And I'm thinking, you, how dare you ask me to do this? How you allow this injustice into my life that I have to do all this running? And you know, as mad as I wanted to be at him... I could never find any fault in him. Do you know why? Because everything he asked me to do, he did it beside me. He was always right there, probably more a little bit ahead of me, to be honest. He would do it more, and he would even do it on his days off. We'd have a day off from from training, and I'd see him running around the town, training even some more. I thought, what are you doing? We don't have to do this a day off, and there you are running some more. And as I was watching him i was also learning about the christian's response to the problem of suffering and evil and we see in jesus that whatever jesus allows us to do whatever he makes us go through whatever he puts in our path a suffering to endure we know that he has done the same in fact he has done even more jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood by a family member he knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend he knows what it's like to be publicly criticized he knows what it's like to be called a failure he knows what it's like to be spat on, to be whipped, to be punched in the face. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. But He, more than any of us, knows what it's like to suffer on the cross for the sin of the world. And in that, He has eclipsed me long, by a, a long shot. As a side note, some of you are wondering, and I didn't even tell the first service, if you're wondering how we did against Cambridge, the running paid off. We defeated them 17 to 3. It was a shellacking yeah yes but the point of the story is jesus (laughs) because he is willing to suffer and shows us the glory of god yes god is holy but he is so loving and gracious and if we didn't have suffering in the world we would never know just how loving and how gracious this god is that he is willing to take out the problem which we brought in so while I don't understand all the reasons, I mean in your life, you've, you guys have suffered far more probably than I will and, and, and never have to worry about. I don't know what kind of situation you're in, what kind of struggles you have, or what's going on in your life. But I can assure you that suffering and evil do not disprove God. It doesn't work logically. It won't hold up philosophically. God may be using the suffering in your life to, to show your friends that He is still good to show family members that in light of all the difficulty that's coming, that you can still praise God, that your relationship with God is not built on good digestion, good health, and sunny days, but that it actually is rooted in the truth that God is good and that He, has, he is up to something, that you can always worship Him. Maybe He is giving you the choice to grow. He's teaching you something that you need to learn, disciplining you as a good father would do when, his, when their children need to be corrected. And you would never otherwise know it if he hadn't brought it up by putting some kind of trial or tribulation in your life or maybe he wants to display jesus more in your life remember job said i'd heard of you by the hearing of my ear but now my eye sees you my prayer for you is that whatever you're returning to that you would experience jesus in it that you would learn to suffer alongside with him to to feel his presence while he is there and that you would press in harder towards the heart of God than you were before you'd ever gone through it and that when you worship now when we, when we sing a song that it would be a true heart's confession when sorrows like sea billows roll that whatever your lot that you have learned to say it is well it is well with your soul maybe there'll be a conversation in heaven this week about you I, that I don't know if this actually happens anymore but maybe Satan the accuser is accusing you of, of, of just worshiping God on a sunny day. And God says, no, no, look at my servant here. Look at what I'm putting them through. Look at all the things that they've had to endure throughout their life. Look what they're going through now. Look at their heart is still soft despite all that. They haven't hardened their heart to me. They haven't clenched their fists, but their fists are still, or their hands are still raised in worship. And the accuser would look and say at all this evidence that God has presented of why you truly do mean it. And he would look and say, Yeah, you're right. They truly do love me. Let's respond now in worship. Would you pray with me? And God, while I've talked a lot here, I mean, the answer to why there is suffering and evil is not always clear to us. We may feel satisfied now but we may be going into confusion and pain and 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 so i just pray for strength now for each each of these brothers and sisters here lord if there's anyone here that doesn't know you that maybe has used pain and, and evil to push away from you i pray that you would open up their hearts now open up their hands to receive the love and the care and the comfort that you offer you are the god of all comfort And so, Lord, now we offer prayers of faith by singing this old song, a gift handed to us through the ages in the church, a song of faith, a song of trust, and a song of hope that one day the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll, the trump will resound, the Lord shall descend. We will get to experience that place that the Bible promises where there's no more pain, no more hurt, no more death, no more disease, no more bullying, no more abuse, and all will be well. We look forward to that day, but until then, we trust, and we sing in Jesus' name, amen.